Welcome to Albert Camus Radio. Today we're going to do a book review of The Death of Camus by Giovanni Catelli. All episodes of Albert Camus Radio are now sponsored by the very gracious folks at Vectus Consulting. Vectus Consulting, V-E-C-T-I-S. The folks at Vectus Consulting are only concerned with making humanities programs in higher education stronger. Check them out at the web, www.vectusconsulting.org. Today we're doing a book review, and it is The Death of Camus by Catelli, translated by Andrew Tanzi, published by Hearst and Company out of London. It's a 2013 publication in Italian and a 2020 translation into English. So this book is rather new. And as you know, I'm book review editor for the Journal of Camus Studies. So everything that's published in Camus Studies across the globe eventually makes it across my desk. And it's very unusual for a book review editor to take a book for themselves to review. I've done it on occasion. You have to be very prudent with doing that because you just don't want to pick the great ones and take them for yourself. So there's that end of it. The other end of it are difficult book reviews. And difficult, often you overtax your good book reviewers when you're assigning difficult books to them or asking them to review difficult books. So I'm taking this one, and this is a difficult book to review because, quite honestly, it's not very good. This book got a lot of early press, so as early as 2011, two years before it was even published in Italian for the first time, we started hearing about the death of Camus through The Guardian, which is one of my favorite publications, and it is clearly a guilty pleasure of mine when I'm traveling in Europe to pick up a paper version of The Guardian and read that thing cover to cover because it doesn't happen very often for me. And then in 2019, it made another splash in The Guardian with uh, the anticipation of publication in English. It does have a very intriguing premise and a very intriguing question. Was Camus killed or assassinated by the KGB? That is the center focus of the text by Catelli. This one is a difficult one to do because I do wish that this book was classified very clearly by the publisher as either fiction or nonfiction. That's not a very good beginning for a book that has landed itself in the world of nonfiction and has come across the desk of the Albert Camus Society, which is the premium academic society in the world for Camus studies. But here it is. I'm going to go ahead and proceed along the lines of this text being nonfiction. It has the tone of a nonfiction text that has been accepted as nonfiction. I think the Guardian's articles clearly make it out to be nonfiction. There's no clear effort to market the book as fiction. Sometimes in the back around the price or the barcode, you'll see 
fiction on there, and it's not there on my copy. And good old Amazon.com currently has it listed as French history, and that's where it's selling in French history. So my review is going to reflect the very reasonable assumption that this book is nonfiction. And with that being stated, it is not a good book. The argument that Catelli uses is stretched extremely thin. So to convert the book to a fiction, a piece of fiction or a work of fiction, I think would help the book an awful lot because it would just sort of read along that way and one would be entertained. But because I've taken an inordinate amount of time to try to classify this book or find classifications for this book from legitimate sources, I'm going to go ahead and proceed with this one as nonfiction. And as opposed to just going for a good ride with a piece of fiction on Camus, much like um, one would do with a piece of fiction written about an author that one knows very well, like the Merceau investigation, for instance, is a very fine piece done along those lines. We are going to go ahead with this as being nonfiction, which makes it a struggle from beginning to end because you're fighting with the text all the time to try to determine why the case was made in such a way. The argument basically proceeds from Jan Zabrana's journals, Czech author. Uh, so the argument is Jan Zabrana heard from an unnamed man who heard from quote unquote the source that the KGB killed Camus. This all comes from a journal entry that is dated from the 1980s. And of course, Camus died in 1960. So you get a huge gap of time between all of that. You get the 1960 death of Camus. You don't get it recorded in a journal until 1980, and you don't get it resurrected now until about, what, 2010? If we got a 2011 pre-review in The Guardian, about 2010 or so, this starts to come to light. The motive that the book makes for the death of Camus is that Camus' criticism of the Soviet state um, was enough to put him on a death list, a hit list by the Soviet Union. And the method that the KGB used was an assassination device that apparently the KGB had been employing during these years, 50s and 60s, that would cut car tires at a high speed. That's a pretty unique device and kind of interesting when you think about it. You get a device that can measure the speed at which the car is moving, probably just a link to the odometer, right? The cable or the rim and out comes a blade and it just shreds a back tire or a front tire and will cause an accident. Unfortunately, the path that this book takes for the proof that the KGB were up to something with Camus or had a hit on Camus or executed or assassinated Camus are unsourced and unsupported so we have massively unsourced and unsupported evidence taking us from the 1960s to the 2010s or 
whenever you're hearing this podcast or reading this text. The book also contains a number of interpretive errors that are also very disappointing for me. For instance, on the very first page, the book claims that Camus, when he was dealing with political powers, quote, promptly denouncing any abuse, brutality, or injustice they committed, end quote. This is on page one of the death of Camus. The author's claiming that Camus dealt with political powers promptly about brutality and injustice that were committed. Clearly, this is a gross overstatement and is dismissed very quickly by anybody who has even a passing knowledge of Camus' politics. Camus' inability to act or to speak promptly or clearly about Algeria puts that claim into serious doubt. Why is it claimed? Why do we establish this early on in the text? The text needs this view of Camus established in your mind, in the reader's mind, to sell the fact that the Soviets wanted him dead. There's a great deal of time spent on making the case this way. The book continues its case by listing enemies of the Soviet state that were assassinated prior to Camus' assassination in the 50s. However, they all are, are mostly Eastern European, and it's quite a stretch to make the claim that they would cross over into the West, into France, to kill a famous writer, French writer. Everybody else on the list has Eastern European connections and were vulnerable to Soviet assassination attempts on that side of the East-West divide, but Camus was on the other side. The epistemological jumps that are made are astounding in this text, and they do tend to make me want to read this text as fiction. As a book review editor for a major journal, I try to read everything with as much generosity as possible, and my instincts in reviewing this text then do push me to think I should be reading this as fiction. Moving from the plausible idea that the Soviets were at least annoyed with Camus' very public presence and using his very public presence to disseminate disapproval of their state, moving from that plausible claim, which I believe is true, to Camus, quote, held the speech that led to a hit being put on him on 13 March 1957, end quote. So in the text, we get the very clear claim that the Soviets, in fact, put a hit out on Camus and a precise date for that hit, 13 March 1957. I think that's a reckless use of Zambrana's journals to make that connection. The book's case for the assassination of Camus by the KGB rests on many statements that are notably weak and will make a person with a critical eye cringe when reading it. For instance, when writing about the fateful night before Camus' death, quote, the car, however, was unguarded, unquote. So talking about when Camus and Gallimard were moving, uh, traveling back to Paris, the car was left unguarded overnight. Now, just reading that and sitting there alone with all this background of, of mystique 
and nefarious actions by the KGB building up, you there's a seed planted in the reader's mind about that's probably when the device was planted. But was Gallimard's car ever guarded? Even in Paris? Is that standard operating procedure for this publishing house magnet to have his car guarded when he's on the road traveling with a friend? I doubt it. Further statements such as, quote, we are pretty sure the talk took place in the end of the summer, end quote. Pretty sure? I don't like my nonfiction texts making historical claims about important figures using the phrase, pretty sure. This is followed up quickly in the text by the following astonishing quote about the sources used. Quote, he couldn't rattle off his list of contacts and how they were connected, end quote. Statements like this, again, turn me towards reading this book as a fictional account, but I will continue to move forward as if it was non-fiction. From my point of view, after studying Camus in depth for 25 years, there's just too much counter evidence available to place any faith in the argument or narrative constructed in the death of Camus. What we do know is that Camus made the decision to travel by car at the last minute as he had already purchased a train ticket for the trip. By making this last minute switch of transportation modes, the argument that the KGB planned and executed this assassination seems impossible. They would have had many other opportunities to take the life of Camus without having to scramble at the very last minute, tracking down this friend that has the car, planting the device, etc. When if they were following him and looking for an opportunity to kill him, he was traveling alone on a train. And this is important. This is what we know about the actual crash. And this is all supported by historical documentation. The hotel proprietor that they were staying at prior to the day before the crash noted that the car had a bald tire, and he is in fact on the record stating that he noticed the car had at least one bald tire on it on the back and was going to try to get a hold of Gallimard before they left to warn him of that tire, but he didn't get a chance as he was too busy. We know that the road was wet from recent rain. It's a twisty country road that they were on. Witnesses state on the record that the car was traveling at a very high speed just before the crash. It is what, in fact, drew their attention to the car Camus was in, was the rate of speed it was traveling at on a wet country road. And finally, I think the most important piece of counter evidence, documents prove that Gallimard's Vega, the car that they were driving in, had two rear wheel, wheel bearing failures before the fateful crash of his automobile. So the rear wheel bearings had failed twice on that particular car prior to the crash. And there's more. The automobile maintenance shop that Gallimard used warned him 
that he needed new tires just prior to the trip with Camus, and Gallimard said he would take care of that after their trip. As tragic as it was, Camus' death is infinitely more likely a case of a fast car that was poorly maintained, driven at a high speed on a rain-slicked road beyond the skill of the driver. This reader, I, go with Occam's razor over a KGB razor cutting the tire. Perhaps I miss the genre of this work. Perhaps it is fictional history. With statements like, quote, there springs an invisible secret, unquestionable certainty, end quote. It may be the case that I miss something either in the logic or in the form of this book, and the joke is on me. It's possible my training in epistemology can't quite allow me to grasp the meaning of the statement, an invisible, secret, unquestionable certainty. It would do the reading public a great service if the publisher would clarify or categorize this book as either nonfiction or fiction. The book is 152 pages long in the English version. It contains 11 black and white photographs. Its dimensions are of a small trade paperback. And at the time of this podcast, it retails for US 833, $8.33 USD. I thank you for your time today. And we also thank Vectus Consulting for their ongoing generous support of podcasts like Albert Camus Radio. VectusConsulting.org, here to help the humanities grow in the future. Thank you.